discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Karen Hunt is an author and illustrator of 19 children's books, the young adult series Night Angels Chronicles, and the science fiction novel Luminaria, Tales of Earth and Oran, Love and Revenge, to be published in August. She recently returned from living in Luxor, Egypt, where she started the first boxing club for girls. Having lived and traveled extensively behind the Iron Curtain, she is devoting her time to writing essays related to the loss of freedom in the West. And tonight, she will be my guest for Open Mic Night. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Howdy folks. The following essay, written by Karen Hunt, was originally published on June 4th, 2021, on her Substack blog titled Break Free with Karen Hunt, and it was recently reprinted by Off Guardian. Karen is a fairly new voice to this space that we call independent media, and I think you're in for a treat. If you've never read anything by her before, I highly encourage you check her stuff out. She publishes a new essay once a week every Friday or Saturday, so make sure you check out the link I'll include with my show notes. But that's for later, and this is for now. So without further ado, I present to you The Demonization of the Unvaxxed by Karen Hunt. Quoting Salman Rushdie, quote, Children are the vessels into which adults pour their poison, end quote. In The Silver Chair, book six of C.S. Lewis's magnificent The Chronicles of Narnia, the first pages describe a mixed school, meaning for boys and girls, that was, quote, not nearly so mixed as the minds of the people who ran it. These people had the idea that boys and girls should be allowed to do what they liked, and unfortunately, what 10 or 15 of the biggest boys and girls liked best was bullying the others. All sort of things, horrid things, went on, and the people who did them were not expelled or punished. The head said they were interesting psychological cases, and sent for them and talked to them for hours. And if you knew the right sort of things to say to the head, the main result was that you became rather a favorite 
than otherwise, end quote. The school is called Experiment House, and it's a drab, dull place where, even though it gives the appearance of quote-unquote everyone doing what they liked, it's really a place where everyone must fit in, and those who don't are singled out and persecuted. The two heroes of the story, Scrub and Jill, don't fit in at all, and are being chased by a group of bullies when they come up against the wall at the back of the garden. They are trapped, with nowhere else to turn. In the wall is a door that is always locked, but on this occasion, it opens. Quote, They expected to see the gray, heathery slope of the moor going up and up to join the dull autumn sky. Instead, a blaze of sunlight met them. It poured through the doorway as the light of a June day pours into a garage when you open the door. It made the drops of water on the grass glitter like beads and showed up the dirtiness on Jill's tear-stained face. End quote. And so, just as they are about to be caught, Scrub grabs Jill's hand and pulls her, quote, through the door, out of the school grounds, out of England, out of our world, into that place. End quote. I wonder if children read these books anymore. I wonder if children read books at all anymore. Or if they simply stare at a lit up screen and talk into it and it talks back. These books could well be banned as white supremacist propaganda soon anyway. Who knows? Lewis isn't very nice to adults in his books. But that's because adults aren't very nice to children. Adults have lost their sense of wonderment. The boisterous actions of children are hateful because they remind adults of what they have lost. Children must conform. Every child who is a little bit different understands exactly how Scrub and Jill feel. For those who don't fit in, school is a terrifying place of torture and dread. What we are now doing to our children with masks and vaccines is a way to make children so compliant that they never think another thought that makes them question what is quote-unquote behind the door in the wall. Children are the bargaining chips held over the heads of those parents who are also inclined towards being just a little bit different. The consequences of being different used to be so benign. Now, they could very well be death. Someone who was once considered a friend might sneeze or touch another person's hand or laugh too vigorously, and they will become infected. Of course, it is better to live in isolation, dependent on electronic devices for amusement and companionship. The world outside is just too unpredictable. In my last piece, Happily slipping into our straitjackets, I talked about the history of drugging our children and how it has led us to so easily give up our children on the altar of Big Pharma. This, in turn, led us to where we are now, allowing the state to administer an experimental vaccine to our children, and soon even to babies. As of late May, over 600,000 children have received a first dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccination. By late June, over 7 million people younger than 18 have been vaccinated, yet it is still only greenlit for emergency use. Why are we doing this? Why are we using our children as guinea pigs to protect adults when it's been shown that this illness barely affects children, nor do they easily transmit it? Most troubling, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are the first ever authorized vaccines to use mRNA. Let me just say, I am not an anti-vaxxer. However, I admit that since the start of this pandemic, I, along with a lot of other people, have begun to question things that I once simply believed because our government told me I should. A year ago, I was living in Luxor, Egypt, 
having all kinds of wild adventures while my friends back home were locked in their houses and apartments. Like most people, I already accepted that not everything I read in the news was true, but I never realized how bad the lies were until the pandemic struck. From my vantage point far away across the world, in a place that didn't close down because villages just can't do that, I began to notice how every single news outlet said the same things, used the same buzzwords. I saw how the tension was building between President Trump and his pandemic task force, in particular Dr. Fauci. I watched how at every turn, no matter what Trump said, right or wrong, he had to be discredited. When Trump closed down travel to China, he was accused of xenophobia. To quote-unquote send a message, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi toured San Francisco's Chinatown, saying there was no reason tourists or locals should be staying away. The day after Trump's travel ban, Biden accused him of hysteria, xenophobia, and fear-mongering. And yet, months later, the media made it out that Trump hadn't done enough, and if Biden had been in charge, he would have done much more. What would he have done? Kept the borders open, as he is doing now? Everything is a contradiction. When Trump tried to reassure the public so as not to create a panic, he was accused of purposefully lying to the American people. Yet this was information he got directly from Fauci, and he is never been accused of the same. Fauci waffled back and forth on masks, admitting that he lied to the public about masks not being effective in stopping the spread of COVID. Apparently, he did this so there wouldn't be a shortage for health workers. The press doesn't seem to have a problem with this. But if our number one infectious disease expert admits that he lied to us, how do we know he won't do it again, quote-unquote, for our own good? What we have learned from all of this is that truth doesn't matter. As long as the lies are making us feel the way we are supposed to feel, we swallow them. How were we supposed to know Fauci was right and all the other scientific experts who disagreed with him were wrong? It didn't matter. There could be no dissent. I saw how information was kept from the public. I became frustrated and began looking for information elsewhere. I had never really listened to Fox News, so I checked it out. I quickly learned that I could not share anything I discovered on on social media. I would be laughed at, screamed at, and unfriended. I couldn't say that it was giving me a perspective I wasn't getting on CNN. Not necessarily right or wrong, just another perspective. And I needed at least one opposing viewpoint from which to compare the state-approved information I was receiving. New media outlets cropped up like Newsmax. I began to appreciate the Epoch Times. I listened to and watched the videos of journalists like Andy Ngo, who were out in the field filming raw footage of the riots that mainstream reporters refused to let us see. I read his book, Unmasked, and learned how he was discredited by mainstream reporters. I have a lot of respect for him, and I am grateful for his courageous reporting in the face of physical attacks and death threats that became so bad he had to move out of the country. Way back in April of 2020, Mike Pompeo demanded the truth from Beijing as to whether COVID-19 escaped from the Wuhan lab during experiments, and China covered it up by blaming wet food markets. This sounded plausible to me, yet Pompeo now says he received pushback against 
against any type of investigation. Like so many other plausible theories put forward by Trump and his team, all reference to COVID originating in a lab were removed from the internet. Anyone daring to talk about it was labeled a conspiracy theorist and shut out of their social media accounts. Now, suddenly, it's all over the news. A year after trashing the theory that COVID originated from a Wuhan lab because Trump supported the suggestion, America's woke mainstream news outlets suddenly start asking if it's true. Why? That is a mystery I would like to find the answer for. And then there is hydroxychloroquine, and I should add ivermectin. Although I don't go into it here, it's the same scenario, and you will see it in the news a lot lately. Too late for so many people. In April 2020, a small French study showed HCQ combined with azithromycin, an antibiotic, was safe and effective in lowering COVID-19's virus count in patients who had first contracted the disease. Mr. Trump immediately cited the study as it was good news. The world was at the height of the pandemic, and HCQ had been approved and used by physicians for 85 years to treat both malaria and some autoimmune diseases. Instead of this being greeted as hopeful, it was immediately trashed in the media. Fake news. Not following the science. But, I wondered. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Big Pharma, in collusion with anyone investing into it, had good reason to discredit HCQ. The medication was cheap and easily administered. If millions of people started taking this drug in conjunction with other therapeutics and they started getting better, what justification would there be for vaccinating the entire world? When in July of 2020, a group calling themselves America's Frontline Doctors stood upon the steps of our Capitol building and spoke of the merits of hydroxychloroquine, describing masks as unnecessary. They were derided as quacks. A video of their impassioned speech immediately went viral and was removed from all social media by the next day. It became apparent to me that anyone, no matter how prominent, no matter how upstanding, who dared to question the state-sanctioned propaganda were being silenced, discredited, and fired from their positions. Why weren't we listening to them? If, as Fauci was always saying, and continues to say to this day, quote-unquote, we simply don't know, fill in the blank. Why wouldn't they welcome the help of a wider range of expertise? These were doctors who put their reputations on the line to speak out. They were in the trenches, actually treating patients. They weren't theorists like Dr. Fauci, playing God in laboratories, receiving grants from Big Pharma with the understanding they needed to reach the required conclusion. I was inclined to think maybe these doctors had something important to say. Yet still, when I tried to make that suggestion, on social media, again, I was shot down. People were really getting worried about me. I was being brainwashed. By whom? I was merely comparing possibilities. Once upon a time, that was called critical thinking. Now, everyone's minds are completely closed to any inquiries. I had never experienced anything like it. Perhaps future generations will look back on the denial of HCQ and ivermectin to the public to treat this illness as one of the greatest crimes in history. How many lives could have been saved if these inexperienced 
inexpensive and easily accessible drugs, along with other therapeutics, had been used early on, perhaps millions. Renowned public health officials from around the world denounced the draconian measures being taken in the Great Barrington Declaration. Quote, As infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection, end quote. Immediately, all of these experts were discredited and silenced. The all-encompassing power to control information was becoming apparent. Carrie Mullis, the inventor of the PCR test, himself said it was not a reliable test for viruses. His words were silenced or twisted around to mean something else, even though what he said was very plain. In the meantime, the flu magically disappeared. That was because of masks and lockdowns, we were told. But then, why didn't it work for COVID? If even the testing method we were using wasn't accurate, or could be fiddled with to create more or less positive results when needed, how could we be sure of anything? We have a video from 2017 where Dr. Fauci actually warned of a pandemic and a surprise outbreak, but it doesn't seem to be of significance. We have Dr. Fauci's treasure trove of emails, where it looks like he potentially tried to hide the very real possibility that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. The emails show him flip-flopping on masks, justifying it by saying, well, the science changed. But whose science? When only one voice is allowed, that being the voice of those who have everything to gain from hiding truth, then science becomes a tool for control rather than a method by which we find truth. Despite the revelations, the state-run media are all still enamored with Fauci, asking him delicate questions, drooling over his sainthood, just as they do over Biden's grandfatherly and completely non-threatening demeanor. That is, except when Biden wakes up long enough, as he did at a recent event, to squint down down at a little girl in the audience of not more than 10 years of age and say, I, uh, I love those barrettes in her hair, man. I tell you what, look at her. She looks like she's 19 years old sitting there with a, like a little lady in a race car. A poll during voting showed that nearly half of Biden voters said that their vote wasn't for Biden so much as it was against Trump. Anything would be better than that racist, maniac, orange man bad. Better to lie. Better to have people die without the therapeutic drugs that could have saved them. Better to let China off the hook than to admit Trump was right about anything. Fill people with so much fear and hatred, they don't suspect the obvious. That the gods behind the curtain, the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates are gaining absolute power over our minds and bodies, and we are giving it up to them without blinking an eye. During the pandemic, the nation's 644 billionaires gained almost $1 trillion in total net worth, according to a new analysis, while the poorer Americans struggle with lost wages and jobs. Doesn't that mean anything to anybody? Aren't the implications obvious? Apparently not. I haven't finished my Netflix series. Have you seen it? What do you recommend I watch next? Take care of us. Keep us safe. Lull us to sleep with our smartphones and our drugs. Cover our faces. Administer our vaccines. Once Trump was gone, anyone who thought the same, namely anyone who questioned 
and the state needed to be discredited as well. A line was drawn. There was no middle ground. Either you were a masker and a vaxxer, or you were a heretic. And we all know what happens to heretics. When January 6th occurred, Biden called it the worst terrorist event in our history. Domestic terrorism, that's what we were up against now. Even though those who stormed the Capitol were let in by the police, had no weapons, and killed no one. Called murderers when the only person murdered that day was Ashley Babbitt. Journalist Taylor Hansen, who filmed Ashley Babbitt's death, identified the officer responsible for shooting as Lieutenant Mike Bird, a black man. Hansen was subsequently arrested. True to form, the mainstream media showed no interest in investigating Ashley Babbitt's death. Obviously, it would have gone against the narrative. In a recent speech at an event in Tulsa to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the city's race massacre, Biden declared white supremacists were the most lethal threat to the United States. Where is this terrible, out-of-control threat? To compare what happened that day when a bunch of losers entered the capital to 9-11 is an insult to all who died when terrorists rammed those planes into the World Trade Center. 2,977 people were killed that day and more than 6,000 injured. It is an insult to all who died during the BLM and Antifa riots to those who were trapped inside government buildings when rioters tried to burn them down to small neighborhood businesses that were destroyed. BLM riots caused over $1 billion worth of damage, yet media says they're mostly peaceful. Most of all, it's an insult to the nearly 300 children who were shot and killed in 2020, a 50% increase from 2019, and the more than 5,100 children aged 17 and younger who were killed or injured within their own neighborhoods. So who are these white supremacists endangering our country? They are fast becoming defined as every person who does not agree with the state. How do you succeed in silencing almost 80 million people, or maybe even more. Trump warned that when he was gone, his attackers would not be finished. Quote, then they will come for you, end quote. Anyone who refuses to submit to this vaccine will receive this label. Anyone who refuses to submit their child to this vaccine will be given this label. It won't matter whether you voted for Trump or not. That will be the label assigned to you. Proof of vaccination is already being required in restaurants where the unvaxxed must sit in a special section wearing masks. There are countless cases of employees being fired from jobs for not taking the jab. If you want to keep your job, you better take the jab. Although we were previously told the federal government would leave mask mandates to local government and businesses, Homeland Security now says it is taking a close look at vaccine passports for international travel. In January, the Los Angeles Unified School District announced that it plans to require its students to receive the COVID vaccine once it is approved and available. Los Angeles Unified is the nation's largest school district. And so, we have now been divided into two camps, the vaxxed 
and the unvaxxed. Who will suffer the most from this? Who is already suffering the most? Our children. I hear from parents that they are receiving messages from schools to get their children on the waiting list to be vaccinated. The vaccine will be available in the fall for kids 12 and up. The parents who contact me are against vaccinating their children and say they will never give in. I don't think they realize how bad it could get. All the good parents will line up for it. All the good children will be rewarded for obeying the state by being allowed to attend school free of masks and lead a normal life. The children whose parents refuse will have to continue wearing masks. They will have to sit in a special section, eat and play separately. As I showed in my previous essay with drugging children diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, parents who do not conform to vaccinating their children will be seen as irresponsible. Those who are vaccinated will accuse them of selfishness, just as we see adults accusing the unvaxxed of this, of putting the entire community at risk. Imagine being those children, being used as examples of the evils of non-conformity. They will become pariahs among their peers and their teachers. They will be mocked shamed and shunned. Already, children at this age just want to fit in. The unvaxxed children will go home and beg for their parents to get them vaccinated. Children will churn against their parents. Those few kids who are natural free thinkers, like Scrub and Jill, will suffer more than they ever have in the past. They will not even have the satisfaction of being thought of as cool by the outside crowd. There won't be any outside crowd. Only the Vaxxed and the unvaxxed. Where adults have been allowed to remove their masks, although many choose not to, children are still being forced to wear them. While the nation debates Dr. Fauci's emails and how much he really knew, how much information was hidden, how deeply involved he was in research at the Wuhan lab, all these things that for so long were labeled conspiracy theories and are now turning out to be true. Our children continue to suffer the abuse of covering their mouths and noses eight hours a day, both inside the classroom and outside in terrible heat as they attempt to play. But according to parents I've spoken to, when their kids go home, they don't go outside. Instead, they are on their tablets or iPads, interacting on TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat. They are uninterested in exercise. They are terrified of germs. And parents, busy online themselves, are ignorant as to what their children are engaging in. During April to October 2020 in the U.S., emergency room visits linked to mental health problems for children aged 5 to 11 increased by nearly 25% and increased by 31% for those aged 12 to 17 years old as compared to the same period in 2019. During the month of June 2020, 25% of persons aged 18 to 24 in the U.S. reported suicidal ideation. While some of this may be related to the pandemic, we suspect that it is largely a function of our response to the pandemic. A recent survey of children aged 9 to 17 by child protection nonprofit organization Thorn found, while quote, the most common experiences reported of online issues involved bullying or generally being made to feel uncomfortable, one in three participants reported having had an online sexual interaction, end quote. Most participants reported receiving a sext, while 18% had received a nude photo 
or video, and 18% had been asked to send a nude photo or video. Children as young as 5 years old know how to use phones and tablets. It is their language. A friend of mine, who is a social media influencer on TikTok, and also a mother of a toddler, says you wouldn't believe what children are accessing online nowadays. The gods above use their power to suppress knowledge of all that might expose them as the Machiavellian fraudsters that they are, yet no one is protecting our children from dangerous information. What is a parent to do? Move to the country, start a commune, start neighborhood learning centers with like-minded parents. I have heard many parents say, if they try to force me to vaccinate my children, I will take them out. All well and good, but there are many who cannot afford to do this. Many will have no choice but to give in to the state. If they don't, just as happened to parents who resisted putting their children on Ritalin, they will be accused of abuse and perhaps even have their children taken from them. Just as happened to Patricia Weathers, who in 2020 took her 9-year-old son off an antidepressant and medication similar to Ritalin because he was constantly gnawing at his shirt collar and had begun to hear voices. As a result, her son's elementary school accused her of medical neglect and called child abuse investigators. Years of battling the school in the courts took its toll until she finally won in court, but most people don't have the knowledge or the resources to sustain such a battle. School officials can force a parent to seek out a professional, such as a psychiatrist, and can they expel a child who doesn't take medication or intimidate parents by threatening to phone social services or child abuse investigators? Weathers says that's what happened to her, and there are reports of other similar cases around the country. All of this intimidation and training to comply was a precursor to what is happening now. With psychiatric drugs, the only person the state can claim you are putting at risk is your own child. With vaccines, they can claim you are putting the entire country at risk. Millions of lives are on your hands and the hands of other deplorables like you. My daughter and her husband spent the past year in Slovenia, where their two boys, ages 3 and 2, have gone to daycare free of masks. In July, they are moving back to Los Angeles. They are against masks and the vaccine, both for themselves and their children. They could not find a single daycare in their area that didn't require children to wear masks. And those daycares all reassured her as if it would make her feel better, that once the vaccine was available and the tiny tots had taken it, they would be allowed to go mask-free. At last, my daughter found one daycare that didn't require masks. It was a private Christian school, so that is where they will put their boys. We already see signs of Christian schools being demonized. A March article in Miss Magazine declared how Christian schools and homeschooling teach supremacist conspiracies. Statistically, homeschoolers do much better with learning and their futures than public school children, yet academics such as Professor Elizabeth Bartholet are leading the charge against those who actively resist public schools, and she believes that the generation currently being homeschooled is an eventual, if not active, breeding ground for racism, sexism, and isolationism. She claims, quote, many homeschool precisely because they want to isolate their children from ideas ideas and values central to public education and to our democracy. Many promote racial segregation and female subservience. 
Many question science. Many are determined to keep their children from exposure to views that might enable autonomous choice about their future lives." My daughter certainly is not a white supremacist. She is not a Trump supporter. She has no interest in politics. She just wants to follow what she believes is best for her children. Yet if things keep going on as they are now, it is quite possible that anyone who doesn't adhere to the ideas and values central to public education and to our democracy, meaning what is acceptable to the totalitarian state, will automatically be considered enemies of the state, and as such, in need of re-education, imprisonment, or perhaps even worse. Some might accuse me of alarmism. Nothing would make me happier than to be proved an alarmist. However, unless people stand up and speak out, this is surely what we are facing. And I think those who are hearing this, who don't want their children submitted to this experimentation and abuse, know in their hearts this might well be what they are facing. I want to end with a little story. I was raised by a Mennonite mother. There was much I rebelled against as a child and teenager. Despite my doubts and rebellions, I always knew I had a history to be proud of, a foundation of strong, courageous people who stood up for what they believed even in the face of death. Before her passing, my mother left each of her children a booklet with the history of our people. She called the booklet a far journey. It tells the story of the Anabaptists who split from the Catholic Church and followed the teachings of a Dutch preacher named Menno Simmons, born in 1496. This was a time of great upheaval. The Protestants were fighting for the right to free information for all. No longer should the gateway to God be blocked by priests and popes. No longer should the common man be kept from reading and interpreting the sacred scriptures for himself. This free information for all, brought about by the invention of the printing press, threatened the hold the powerful had on the ignorant souls beneath them. Bloody battles ensued. The cause became politicized, of course, and used by both sides to gain more power. But as always, there were the common people who stood up for their rights. The Martyr's Mirror, a collection of records, letters, and court accounts, tells the stories of many of those who remained faithful and paid the price with their lives. There is one letter in the collection from Janikin Munstorg, written from prison to her one-month-old daughter, also named Janikin. The mother bore her child in prison, and the girl was taken from her. Knowing she would never see her daughter again, she wrote a letter for her to read one day. Part of it goes thus, quote, the true love of God and wisdom of the Father strengthen you in virtue, my dearest child, and strengthen and confirm your understanding in his truth. For if we were to continue in the world, we would have had no trouble. For when we were one with the world, and practiced idolatry, and loved all manner of unrighteousness, we could live at peace with the world. But when we desired to fear God, and to shun such improper ways, then they did not leave us in peace. Then our blood was sought. Then we had to be a prey to everyone and become a spectacle to all the world. They seek here to murder and burn us. We are placed at posts and stakes, and our flesh is given as food to the worms." End quote. Words too drastic? I think not. I recite these words if only to wake people up from their sleep 
if only to remind us that many have gone before who suffered and died for the freedoms we enjoy, the freedoms to read and write, to worship and pray and speak as we choose, not just for Christians, but for everyone, everyone, the freedoms to agree and disagree, even to believe outrageous quote-unquote conspiracy theories. The internet has created a crisis even greater than the invention of the printing press. In those days, the information of the texts was limited to biblical knowledge. As time went on, that information grew. Now a seemingly infinite wealth of information is at our fingertips. We are being told that information is dangerous, that we need to put it into the hands of the powerful once again. We must trust them as the doorkeepers between our minds and the mysteries of the universe. Just as the reformers stood up for their rights to interpret texts on their own, so we must stand up for our rights to do the same. Perhaps the day will come when the individual will submit to the will of the state, and we will become more machine than we are flesh and blood. I know men like Elon Musk dream of this. He says we need these changes if we want to explore the universe, to travel to other planets. We need to evolve. I would love nothing more than to explore other planets. Perhaps losing our humanity little by little is the price we must pay for that advancement. If science fiction is any indication, and I tend to believe science fiction sometimes more than actual science, this is probably inevitable. But that day is not today. For now, we must fight for the right to hold on to our freedoms. Oh, we can have intellectual discussions about how we aren't really free and all of that, but I do know the difference between freedom and bondage. I walked through Dachau as a child. I stood at the Berlin Wall and crossed the barrier from the land of the free into the land of the oppressed. From one step to the next, I passed from light into darkness. I was fortunate. I was allowed to pass back again, horribly aware of all the yearning souls I was leaving behind. Don't let the lies lull you to sleep. Don't let cynicism overcome you. I have faith that there will always be at least one scrub and one Jill in every school. Those who refuse to fit in. Those who still see the mystery beyond the wall. Those who find the way out of darkness and into light. I started with Salman Rushdie, and I will end with him. I saw him once at a party at a club back in the 90s. He was a very ugly man, but he was with a very beautiful woman. I wondered about him. He looked so insignificant, yet what power his words had, so much power that they were dangerous to the regime in Iran, and a price was put on his head. Yet there he sat, enjoying his life. In those heretical, satanic verses, he wrote, quote, What kind of idea are you? Are you the kind that compromises, does deals, accommodates itself to society, aims to find a niche to survive? Or are you the cussed, bloody-minded, ramrod-backed type of damn fool notion that would rather break than sway with the breeze, the kind that will almost almost certainly 99 times out of 100 be smashed to bits, but the 100th time will change the world." End quote. We may be smashed to bits, still, let's be the ones who change the world. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Friday, July 23rd, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.